Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion. Welcome to Reasonable Doubt, the radio show and podcast for those who won't just take things on faith. Coming to you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, the teat upon which the Christian Reformed Church suckles. You can find us online at www.doubtcast.org. Or those of you in West Michigan can listen to us on Public Reality Radio, WPRR, 1680 AM, Ada, Grand Rapids. My name is Dave Fletcher. My fellow doubtcasters, Jeremy Bean and Dr. Professor Luke Galen, will not be joining me this week because this week we're doing things a bit differently. This week we're dealing with a single topic, one that's near and dear to me and one that we've gotten a number of questions and requests about over the last couple of years. On this episode, we're talking about parenting. Parenting from a free-thought, non-religious, secular, humanist, atheist, pick whichever label you prefer, perspective. But even though my fellow doubtcasters aren't here, I'm far from alone. I've enlisted the help of some free-thinking moms. The guy who literally wrote the book on free-thought parenting, actually co-wrote and edited not one but two of them, and kids. Real, actual children. A quick disclaimer. This episode will feature higher levels of cuteness than usual. Welcome to Reasonable Doubt. Uh, Like that. Don't worry, there's not too much. And will not feature the kind of counter-apologetics, psych of religion, and other sorts of things that Reasonable Doubts recently received a podcast award for. More on that later. We'll be back with our regularly scheduled programming in January. In the meantime, we offer this to all of the parents out there seeking to raise happy, rational children to everyone considering becoming parents, and to everyone else interested in the next generation, the young men and women who will eventually inherit the world we've made for them. First, a little bit of background. I recently became a father. Not in the traditional way. I became a stepfather to a 12-year-old. Hello, hi, whatever. And a 10-year-old. Hello. And a 7-year-old. Hi, bye. And a 5-year-old. Hi. What really prompted me to want to do this episode was an incident that happened to me a couple of months back involving our seven-year-old. Hi, bye. That one. You see, she lost a tooth a while ago, as I've learned seven-year-olds are apt to do, and after losing her tooth, she lost her tooth. She couldn't find it. And she got upset because if she didn't have her tooth, how could she leave it for the tooth fairy and get her money? She was crying about it, and her older sisters, both of whom have been in on the Tooth Fairy thing for a while, said, don't worry about it, the Tooth Fairy will find it, you'll get your money, and so on, trying to help. My wife and I had been talking about the Santa issue for a while and had basically decided that we didn't like lying to them, but until they asked, we'd keep quiet, but not really push it on them either. So... As her sisters were trying to comfort her, my wife and I looked at each other, and she said to me, go ahead. So I told both of the two younger girls the hard truth about the tooth fairy, which then prompted our seven-year-old to ask, well, what about Santa? He's real, right? Another exchange of glances with my wife, and I killed off Santa, too. There was a little bit of shock, but not as much as I might have expected, 
And then we sat down and read one of Dan Barker's books. It's called Just Pretend, and I highly recommend it. It covers things like Santa, the Tooth Fairy, and even uh, God. And as we read through the book and talked about it, they really seemed to get it, which was fantastic. But I couldn't help but thinking that maybe by killing off Santa and the Tooth Fairy and the Easter Bunny, that somehow I had robbed my children of some of the magic of childhood. Is this the right way to handle these situations? I wasn't sure. So I turned to Dale McGowan. Dale McGowan is the editor and co-writer of the book Parenting Beyond Belief and also Raising Freethinkers, A Practical Guide to Parenting Beyond Belief. He also runs the website foundationbeyondbelief.org. Foundation Beyond Belief is a new nonprofit, charitable, and educational foundation created to focus, encourage, and demonstrate humanistic generosity and to support a nationwide education and support program for non-theistic parents. If that sounded scripted, it's because I'm reading it from their website, www.foundationbeyondbelief.org. I began my conversation with Dale McGowan by relating to him our experience with the Tooth Fairy and asking him if we had done the right thing. Oh, you know, I, um, I honestly don't think there's a right thing with this. I think uh, it has a tendency to work out just fine uh, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And uh, what you're doing is just pursuing any one of a number of different uh, goals. Uh, you know, your goal in this case was to, you know, to uh, 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 introduce her to... Uh, you know the correction of this uh, uh, this story that she will the, you know, the kids at one point or another um, do figure out right. This is right. our temporary myth uh, that's built in uh, the, our series of temporary myths, and I think parents can deal with it any one of a number of ways that are all just fine. Uh, my particular preference is to let them work their own way out of it. Um, that's what I've done with my kids mm-hmm. because I think it ends up being a really terrific. Uh, exercise in critical thinking. You know, they uh, engage in this thing, it's fun, it's harmless, right. and um, then they have the opportunity to think their way out. And they always do, right? You don't typically have a 35-year-old who's, you know, still... Very few. ...looking up the chimney, who knows? Right, right. Um, but uh, I think that's a valuable uh, experience. And the age, when it typically happens, I've heard this from one parent after another, it varies. But right around age eight the kids start to really split um, uh, in their, uh, you know, their own desires uh, regarding this. They have a strong desire to believe, and they begin developing a strong desire to know right. the truth about this. And my uh, particular, again, I think all, all these paths are, are just fine. But uh, I saw early on with my son an opportunity to get him to sort of uh, uh, think his way out of this thing, and so we were had a very light touch about um, Tooth Fairy and Santa and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. When he'd ask these questions, start to ask the probing questions around age six to seven, we would always say, well, some people believe, and then give him the answer sure. to whatever it is. Here's how the reindeer fly or whatever. And eventually, a kid's desire to know overwhelms that desire to believe, and out they come, you know, with the question. And mm-hmm. interestingly, up to that point, he had never asked us directly. He never looked us in the eye and said, is Santa real? He doubted, and, doubted, and this is what I've same thing with uh, our other three, ki- our other two kids, three altogether. They don't want to know for a long time. They right. sort of they're skeptical. They ask a little question, and then they go right back into the belief, even if your answer was really dumb. Right. <laughs> they frequently, they almost always are. You know, the 
how the reindeer fly. I said, you know, some people say they eat magic corn, you know. And then he said, okay, you know, <laughs> that was enough. But at some point he starts to go, what? And I think that's a really terrific opportunity to develop that, you know, thinking skill. Then, of course, when they get the next round of, of uh, nonsensical answers, and it's, you know, Jesus and God and so on, mm-hmm. they have that experience to build on, having thought their way out of another uh, belief system. So, But I, I really think that... Um, I don't really think that there's a wrong way to do it. Okay. I think that it, they have different advantages depending on how you approach it. So I haven't screwed them up yet. No, 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 okay. no. All right. Although you will 10, 20, 30 times over, we all do. Dale was pretty sure I hadn't screwed them up too badly, but just to make sure, I decided to talk to the girls themselves. First off. First off. First off. <laughs> we'll say it the same thing as you, Dave. You are. Um, yep. Say your first name and how old you are. I am Peyton, and I am seven years old, and I'm on a radio station. Hello, I'm Abby. I'm five, and I'm at the radio station. Abby. What? Who is Santa Claus? Uh, Dave. <laughs> what do you mean that Dave is Santa Claus? <laughs> Because he got the bearded mustache. <laughs> okay. okay. How about the tooth fairy? Who's the tooth fairy, Abby? Mm-hmm. You don't know? Is there a tooth fairy? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yes. I know. You. <laughs> I, and what do you mean that I'm the tooth fairy? <laughs> because you have dollars. Uh, okay, Peyton. What? Uh, who is Hello. Santa Claus? You for us. What does that mean? Because um, Santa Claus is not real, and your parents put um, every present on Christmas Eve night under your Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh-huh. And and how about the Tooth Fairy? Uh, you put money under our pillows, and we don't know what happened to the teeth. Do you remember when Mom and I first told you that the Tooth Fairy and Santa Claus aren't real? I was crying in tears. Why were you crying? Because I wanted them to be real. And why did you want them to be real? Because they're awesome! And and how do you feel knowing that they're not real? Sad! Does it make Christmas any less special? No. It makes Christmas really super, super, super special. Why, why does it make Christmas really super duper uber special? Because you get to spend lots of time with your family. So if nothing else, at least they understood the really important part that the holidays are about family and love and all that stuff and, of course, presents. But I was curious how the older two girls... Cassidy and I'm 10 years old. Shiloh, 12. It had learned the truth. Do you remember how you found out that they weren't real? Well, let's see. Kids at school used to tell me that they weren't real, and I'd say, no, he was real. Mm-hmm. And then as I got older and everything, I'm like, Santa Claus can't be real. And I asked Mom, and she's like, yeah, he's not real. I'm like, oh, I was right. So you kind of figured it out, and then you asked Mom, and she told you. Yeah. Now, Cass... You don't believe in Santa, do you? No. Why not? Um, 
the tooth fairy thing. My dad was digging under my pillow trying to find my tooth. Yeah. So when it came around Christmas, I asked my mom, and she said, shh, don't say a word about it. So. So she didn't want you to tell your sisters? No. Okay. And so, listeners, you're thinking this is all fine and dandy, but I don't tune in to reasonable doubts for refutations of the tooth fairy. So let's just cut to the chase here. Let's get to the big one. What do the girls think about God? Do you believe in God? No. Nope. No. Um, no. For those of you keeping score, that's four no's. None of the four girls believe in a God. Not even the five-year-old. Which isn't a bad thing, but it is a bit worrisome. I'm worried that I'm just as bad as all the religious parents out there who force their beliefs on their kids. Am I forcing my kids to believe what I believe? We can easily do that, and I think a lot of people do. Here's Dale McGowan again. I explained to him how worried I was that because of my negative feelings towards religion and specifically the Christianity I was raised with, that I could be indoctrinating my children to my own worldview. This is, I think, the cent- one of the central issues of non-religious parenting, because I feel exactly the same way mm-hmm. about Christianity. My feeling is that it is, um, in addition to the overt negative things, even the positives um, have sort of this uh, this residue that diminishes yeah. the natural world. Mm-hmm. You know? So, so I, I am no fan. What I am a fan of, above all else, is the fact that I came to those opinions myself. Mm. That's why they feel so authentic. No one uh, gave me a, uh, a developed opinion, sort of handed it to me. Here's what I figured out about the world. I figured out that Christianity is, is bogus. Um, now you should believe that, too. Right. Um, it, would, it would diminish it for me in that way. Um, I actually believe strongly that given an even playing field, um, religion does not sell itself well. Mm-hmm. It's actually something, if you have a child who's in love with the real world and in love with critical thinking, I actually believe that my kids are going to be able to figure this out just fine on their own. And I simply refuse to deny them the authenticity of that process by indoctrinating them. So, yes, I have to be extremely careful, not, cause I, not because I think you know, all outcomes are, you know, equally good, right. but because I really believe in the process and I believe they're capable of it. So what I do have to do, I really think it's a mistake for parents to hide their opinions. Mm-hmm. I think that's also inauthentic. Um, but what my kids get from me is a caveat. At the end of every statement that I make, you know, I say, um, well, I, you know, one of my kids asked, do you think Jesus really came alive after he died? Right. And I said, no, I think that was a story that was made up to, you know, make us feel better about death. Mm-hmm. But then I always added, but you know what? Your grandma Barbara believes it was true. So you ought to talk to her sometime and find out what she believes. I'm confident enough in them to do that. Mm-hmm. I say, here's my opinion. You know, I think such and such is true. I think such and such is bad. And this other thing is good. Um, but I want you to find other people who believe differently and seek them out, listen to their opinion, and make up your own mind. It's gotten to the point where I add these caveats so often, mm-hmm. you know, where I give my opinion and then I say to the kids now, but I, I want you to make up your own mind. And they say, I know <laughs> you want me to make up my own mind. And we get it. We understand. Right. And that's the point where I say, good. That's great. They really do uh, get this. My influence is still going to be huge as the parent. There's no denying that. But at that point, it's influence. It's not indoctrination. Mm-hmm. Because I've invited them to uh, find their own path, and I've told them explicitly, I will love you no less 
if you end up believing differently from me. In fact, if you believe what I believe just because I believe it, I would like that less. Um, I, that would that would disappoint me if you agreed with me just because I believe it. Mm-hmm. But if you differed from me on your own, from your own process, that would be an honest thing, and I'd rather have that. These are the sorts of things that we have to say out loud to our kids, explicitly. And if we do, I mean, imagine if a religious parent did this. Imagine yeah. if they said, you know what, I believe that Jesus is our Savior. I believe that we owe him our gratitude for uh, the sacrifice that he made for us. I believe God is real. I believe we go to heaven when we die. But you get to make up your own mind, and I will love you no less if you decide different from me, and there's no penalty, and you will not be sent to hell. Imagine if this is the message kids got. Yeah. That would be religion without indoctrination, and I would be fine with that. Right. This is what I believe, but you get to make up your own mind, was not exactly the message I was raised on. I was sent to church twice every Sunday, along with Sunday school, youth group, catechism, and uh, Christian schools from preschool all the way through high school. I was asked recently in an interview what my experience with the church was like as a child. And honestly, I can't separate my experience with the church from my childhood itself. Everyone I knew was either from church or my Christian school All of my relatives were religious, and in fact, I have a good half-dozen uncles who are ministers themselves. So religion was inextricably linked to every part of my childhood. And of course, that very much informs the way I parent. The fear of indoctrination is a very real thing for me. It's something that I myself experienced, and I don't want to subject my kids to that. But that's my experience. So I wanted to talk to some people with different backgrounds. Enter the Free Thought Mom Squad. Okay. Uh, my name's Becky. I have four children. I have nine-and-a-half-year-old twin boys. I have a three-year-old, and I have a six-week-old baby. I am Kathy. I have two kids. They are 17 and 15. My name is Chris. I have four kids. They are all girls, and they are 12, 10, 7, and 5. And if you're paying close attention, you notice that the description of Chris's children is very similar to the description of my children, and that's because she's my wife. Now, I started out our discussion by asking each of our moms to talk a little bit about their own upbringing. How were they raised? What role did religion play in their childhood? We did not attend church. This is Becky. She joined us over the phone from Iowa. My my mother was raised Catholic. Um, she quit going to church when the priest would not marry her and my father. Because he was not Catholic? Because he was not Catholic. My dad was not raised in a home with any kind of religion, although he did attend Sunday school fairly regularly as a as a young child because they um, they lived way in the boondocks, and the, the church would bust them back and forth for free, so my grandma got the Sunday morning off for eight sons. So uh, so he did attend, but, um, but, you know, it was not a religious home by any means. Um, all of our first cousins that we associated with were quite religious. So we had, you know, exposure to that. And they were kind of the in-your-face type. And we didn't have a lot of confrontations with it, but it was always there. And it was always kind of awkward um, because they really liked to talk about it. Um, you know, like hand out little pamphlets on different religions and why they were all wrong except for theirs and of that course. kind of thing. I was not raised with any 
religion whatsoever. And now my lovely wife, Chris, who you may recognize from the end credits of this show. Well, I don't want to say whatsoever. I have um, family members who are religious, and they attend church. And when we were little, every now and then they'd take us with them. And it was always awkward. And then, you know, when the family gets together for, for holidays, it's let's pray before we eat. And everyone else is bowing their heads, and I'm looking around like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. You know, their eyes are closed. They're not going to catch me not doing it. But, yeah, religion was never a thing for me. I was raised without it, and... Religion was never um, posed as a negative thing, you know, where, mm-hmm. oh, if you believe, you're weird. But it wasn't it wasn't pushed. So growing up, I guess, secular was what was normal for me. And um, I never really thought twice about it until you get older and you have kids and it becomes a much bigger deal. People want to know what church you take your kids to. They want to know... Um, what religion they are, and it's even tough for the kids, too, because then when they're raised without religion, their friends get in on it. I didn't really have much of that growing up. I had religious friends, but they never pushed it like some of the things my kids are experiencing. I was raised Catholic. This is Kathy. And we went to church every Sunday as a family, and that's where it ended. And so that was my experience, and nobody ever tried to push anything strongly on me, or, you know, it was just we went to church. Um, where that changed was when I was 13 and I went to a summer camp. I don't think I'm going to name it. It's very evangelical. I was told that Catholics are not Christians. And so if I wanted to go to heaven, I needed to change my ways and accept Jesus Christ as my personal savior. So I did. And I went home and told my whole family they were going to hell. That didn't go over so well. But I have since come to my senses about such things and I'm no longer religious. I asked the Free Thought Mom Squad what they thought about my fear of indoctrinating my children to free thought. I think that to teach your children to think critically Mm -hmm. and to not believe everything that they hear, I don't, I just cannot see that as indoctrinating. Mm. Um, I think it's teaching them to use their own brains. So You know, when my kids were little, we had opportunities for them to look at the Bible or, you know, they had a children's Bible. My son opened it up one day and and saw a picture of, I think, Abraham standing over Isaac with a knife. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) What is that all about? So we read him the story and he's like, oh. I said, you know, that's kind of bad parenting because it'd be like (laughs) me saying, Jordan, run in front of that car right now. And then saying at the last minute, wait a minute, I just want to make sure you're listening. (laughs) So, um, but to get back to your question, indoctrinating and free thought, I just can't wrap my brain around that. Raising them to question what they cannot see and touch and feel and experience for themselves. Mm -hmm. I think those are normal things to question. Mm -hmm. And I think even a lot of the religious people I know still have a lot of those questions. It's, it's, um, I don't think it's wrong at all to teach kids skepticism, to not always believe what they hear, to do their own investigation into it and to come to their own conclusion. Um, I don't have a problem if the girls want to go to church with a friend or a Sunday school with a friend or something like that, because I think experiencing many religions is more important than experiencing none. <laughs> Abby, do you believe in God? 
Um, no. Do you know what God is? Yeah. What's God? Um, is way up in the sky. Uh huh. And um, cause I don't believe in it because I can't see it. You don't believe in it because you can't see it. No. Okay. And Peyton, how about you? God, if some people know, he lives up in a cloud. But if it's like sunny and the clouds are all spread out, how can like God walk in it on the clouds? If the clouds are, clouds are all spread out, how can he do that? Sure. Do Do you believe that there is a God? No. Why not? Cause um, you told me in a myth book. Do you believe in God? No. Why not? Um, because one thing is because I just don't think how how could one man or whatever um make a world and like how was he made? It's not like he could have just poofed up out of anywhere. Oh, so who made God? If God made everything else, who made God? Exactly. That's a really good question, and you know that is a question that people have been struggling with for hundreds and thousands of years. I would imagine. How about God? Do you believe in God? Nope. Why not? Because there's like no like proof that there's a God and like there's like pictures of this and stuff and there's no heaven. Good point. One of the things that really separates religious and non-religious people is that religious people have a ready-made community. They have a church or a mosque or a temple or what have you where they can gather with like-minded people. A lot of us non-religious people don't have that. And this issue becomes all the more profound when there are children involved. How do you provide that sense of community for your kids when you don't have a church to send them to. And while this is a difficult issue for non-religious people in general, Becky has it even harder because she homeschools her kids. So I asked her how she provides that sense of community for her children when they're lacking both a church and a school community. Well, a, a really strong sense of family, um, which is difficult because we don't live near any of our families, <laughs> which is why we're driving six, seven times a year up to visit. We have a small um, homeschool group that we associate with that is a secular group. Um, it's actually mostly made up of Catholic families, and um, I think there's a Muslim family in the group. Um, a number of them go to the Unitarian Church. Uh, for, I think there's a Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a re- and then, you know, other people who are um, more pagan-leaning, definitely an atheist or two in the group. So... You know, whatever you want to call yourself, it's a mix of people who are very, very accepting and very nice people. Um, and we, you know, we go to play groups and do activities with them. Um, we, we create our own community is what we have to do. Um, there are a number of religious groups, um, and we have no problem doing things with them, except for the ones here all require a declaration of faith to be signed, and we refuse to do that, although I suppose... They wouldn't really know if we were lying. Um, but they they have that declaration of faith because they want their children to associate with only certain types of people. And, and mm. that's not what we want for our kids. That's one of the reasons for homeschooling. So, I mean, we do, we do sports, youth sports, through the YMCA or 
you know, some of the local community groups, and there's, um, you know, local children's theater, which we'll probably eventually get into. And my kids actually um, go to the public school and take uh, music lessons. You know, there's not a lot of interaction with the other kids because they're supposed to be uh, playing their instruments and not fencing with their bows. Um, you know, we, we, we leave the house a lot. You know, homeschool is kind of deceiving in that it's called homeschooling, and you're not really home that often. But... Um, no, we, we created our own community. Do you plan on doing this all the way through high school? Forever. Yeah. Forever. College? Forever. It's going really well. We love it. Yeah, I've heard of homeschooling for college, but I don't really? quite go there. <laughs> University of Phoenix, it's the same thing. No, oh, oh, okay, that's what that is. It, so, um, yeah, we plan on doing it uh, through high school. Um, I, I don't. It's state laws vary here. The kids mm-hmm. can take courses at the schools to supplement their education, which is very nice. I'm not sure how that works back in Michigan. But we, we plan on doing it. But we, we make a very strong effort to make sure that our kids have lots of social contacts and lots of community experiences. Um, now that our boys are getting older, they're nine and a half, we've been talking with them about some community service projects that they might be interested, um, food bank, that kind of thing. So we plan on doing community services projects with them. Um, most places won't let kids in younger than 10 or 12. We've been looking for that, um, something that's not church-oriented, because we could volunteer in a church if we were members of a church, but we uh, we would like to be out in the community. So. I don't know about uh, you ladies, but when I hear homeschool, I immediately think of, like, Jesus Camp kids, mm-hmm. okay? They're that being taught about... That's yeah. the first question people ask when they find out you homeschool. When we meet local people, they ask what church we go to um, because they figure they know people from our church. You or know? you have your own church in the basement like the, yeah, a the lot Fred of times, Phelps clan. Um, yeah. it, it, actually, when we were expecting, when um, I was, you know, recently had a baby six weeks ago, but when I was expecting and people started finding out how many kids we had, they started kind of asking us if we did the Duggar thing. <laughs> you know, um, I, maybe I look kids? a little young for my age, but, yeah. you know, thinking we were going to have 18, 20 kids. Right. And, like you said, home church. I mean, the majority of people, um, the statistics I've read, and there could be other ones out there, the majority of people homeschool for religious reasons. Yeah. We are not doing it for religious reasons, and um, we prefer to, to hang out with people who aren't doing it for religious reasons. Um, and it's not easy to find them, but we, we have, and they're wonderful, wonderful, kind people, and the majority of them are religious mm-hmm. um, some way, somehow, and, um, and, and we make it work. It just it takes a little effort. One of the reasons that Becky and people like her are choosing to keep their kids out of schools is because of the kinds of issues that the ACLU and the Freedom From Religion Foundation are always dealing with, um, intrusion of the church into the state. Chris actually dealt with a couple of these causes in just this past year. The school my seven-year-old is at is just the first and second. Aww. (laughs) First and second grade. And they had this um, animal farm bring um, a bunch of animals to the school and do a presentation. And they're supposed to be able to experience the animals and pet them and learn about them. A friend of mine went to the morning session with her daughter and then called me up around noon and had this amazing story about um, the people that brought the animals. Uh, Apparently, when they were dealing with chickens... They had told the kids that God put the yolk in the egg for the baby chicken to eat, and chickens cannot lay eggs unless they're married. I have chickens. I don't have a rooster. I was going to say. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, but, but this, this group told the kids that um, chickens cannot lay eggs unless they're married. 
which would be polygamy, considering there's one rooster to how many chickens. That's right. Oh, yeah. Well, that's just a lot of misinformation in any way you look at it. I found out that my daughter had not gone to the morning session. She was going to go to the afternoon session for, for the next presentation. And before she could go, I got right off the phone with my friend. I called up the principal, and I said, I relayed what was told to me, and I said, this isn't right at all. This is a public school. Yeah, they can have their views, any kind of background, but to share it in in such a factual way. And and things that are just so wrong. I mean, you know, an opinion, God put the yolk in the egg. Okay, whatever. But chickens getting married, that's just... Well, and not being able to lay eggs without right. a rooster around anyway, that's yeah. not true. <laughs> but the principal at first did not believe me. He was he was cordial about it, but he said, you know, if something like that was said, I'm sure one of my teachers would have come up and told me about it, and I could have, I could have taken care of it, but I will go look into this, and I will give you a call back. So I got off the phone with him, and... Um, I believe I got back on the phone with my friend to tell her my discussion with the principal, and I got a voicemail during that time, got off the phone again, listened to my voicemail, and it was the principal, and the first words out of his mouth were, I am so sorry. As he was heading over to talk to the people running the animal show, he ran into one of his, his teachers, and the teacher relayed the same thing. And so he, two complaints, he's on his way. He asked the woman who was running the thing, and she said, yeah, I did say that. And he says, you can't do that. So he sat in on the afternoon session, and during the presentation, she almost went into the same tirade again. She had to fumble her words and take them it's on like a different course. like she had to course. go off script yeah. to not say it. Yeah. To went totally improv at that time. Which, but Which she, makes you wonder how many other places she had done that same presentation. Yeah, well, they've they've apparently had this group at their school before and have never... For years and years. Yeah, never yeah. had a bad word, never um, any complaints or anything, but they are no longer welcome at the school anymore. Well, yeah. I know that they're welcome at other public schools because I know they've done the same thing at other public schools. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I've heard stories, mm-hmm. and I know which which farm you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They are out there, and, and it's a shame that more people don't complain about that. But, you know... Kids in the room, they don't think twice about that. We're talking, what, six- and seven-year-olds. The whole statement probably went over their heads anyway because, oh, a chicken. I'm not listening to what people are saying. Exactly. There's farm animals in the room. But on the off chance that that little seed was planted in there and then they come home and have their questions and, well, why did they say this and why did they say that? And it just it gets so tough. And then we had the issue of in the... um, preschool and kindergarten school building, um, a big sign up that says, In God We Trust. And they were handed out 10 years ago, and I called the principal of the school, and she said, oh, it was mailed to me 10 years ago, and they wanted me to put it up, so I did, and it's just still there, and I don't see a problem with it. I got the number for the superintendent, and I called him, and he had the sign taken down and sent to his office so he could judge for himself and he said no other schools have them up anymore there's no reason to have them up right. so it it came down and it's in his uh desk drawer in his office so that's not up anymore so those were some nice victories but brought up another question in my mind and that is by raising a stink at the schools when there's some sort of breach of the separation of church and state or by even driving around town with skeptical or anti-religious bumper stickers or a Darwin fish, or by, I don't know, co-hosting a counter-apologetics podcast. Are we making our children's lives more difficult? 
I mean, these are decisions we've made for ourselves to be outspoken, but what about them? I think of Nietzsche's parable of the lunatic in the square who proclaims that God is dead. Well, that's all well and good for the lunatic, but what if the lunatic had kids? Should he take into account the social ramifications on them before he goes screaming of the death of God? To get the answer to this question, I turned again to Dale McGowan. Well, basically what it amounts to is uh, you want your behavior to be defensible. You want it to be, you know, that doesn't mean that you have to hide your opinions at all. Mm -hmm. But if your behavior is defensible, meaning that you are, um, you know, engaging the world in an honest way and being a normal and out person, which is what I always tell people to do, be normal and out. Right. <laughs> Um, that is um, something that you that you and your kids are both going to be able to defend. You know, they don't have to uh, defend something that uh, is indefensible. What they are defending is the right to for people to believe different things. That idea, that phrase that I give my kids, um, that simple idea of a diversity of belief, giving them confidence in themselves, telling them that they also have the right to change their beliefs a thousand times if they want. You know, because my kids aren't don't go to school and say. I'm an atheist. Right. They go to school and say, uh, uh, I. sometimes they say, I don't believe in God, but I'm still thinking about it. That's one of their most common mm. uh, things. Or they say, I do believe in God, but I'm still thinking about it. They flip and flop back and forth. And that is intriguing to a lot of kids. They see that this thing and they just say, wow, that, that really is, I don't get that. And sometimes they freak out about it. My kids have had several kids sort of go, ah, you can't, you can't say that, you can't do that. And it passes. You know, it almost always passes. Right. I don't think we need to protect our kids from that. I think that's a good experience of allowing them to just be calm and cool while the world is freaking out around them. Sure. Um, because it really doesn't, most of our, uh, the stories and the expectations of, you know, real serious ostracism mm -hmm. or bullying or something like that, those are by far the minority of situations. And when that's the case, we have to take action to protect our kids. But I think it's important to not anticipate that as if that's the inevitable thing and to over-worry about our kids. Let them get out there in a messy world and be the one who's standing up for the right of people to believe as they wish and to be normal and out about what they do believe and to uh, sort of rock people's world because that's really what happens when they see this normal, happy uh, kid who believes something different from them. I think that's a much more powerful thing than any, anything that we really have to protect them So you've had some experiences, right, with kids at school and yeah. even some of your friends, maybe? Yeah, like um, one of the sixth graders on my bus said that I was going to go to hell. And how does that make you feel when someone says something like that? I, like, I didn't care, actually, when they said that. I'm just like, oh, whatever, that's their thought. I didn't care, but kind of made me feel, like, sad, too, because sixth graders said that to me. Right. Uh, do you believe in hell? Nope. No. So you can't go to hell, right? Someone asked me if I believed in the devil. Do you believe in the devil? No. Why not? Because there's just, like, no proof of anything like that. And now, do you talk with, with your friends a lot about God? Not really. I mean, like, when I first meet someone, I usually tell them that I don't believe in God and stuff and see what they think, and most of them don't care. Oh, really? I, yeah. So a lot of your friends, even your friends who do believe in God themselves, they don't care that you don't. Yeah. What's really cool to me is you said that when you meet someone new, you'll tell them that. Yeah. Wow. That's gutsy. <laughs> 
I usually tell people that and just see what they say about it, and they don't care at all. You know, there's a lot of adults who don't believe in God and aren't comfortable telling people that. So the fact that you are telling people when you first meet them, that's that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. That's really gutsy. I want my friends to know what I believe or what I don't believe. And um, last year, mm-hmm. uh, oh yeah, one of my f- friends, um, I was uh, telling them that I didn't believe in God and everything. And someone overheard, and then the rumor, well, thing went around school and stuff. Yeah. And everyone made such a big deal about it. And now, like, everyone, like, I guess forgot during the summer or something. Because then when they got back to school, and they just keep, like, saying, you don't believe in God? Oh, my gosh. Do you think there's any people who have stopped being your friend or any people who have chosen not to be your friend because of that? No, not one person. Shiloh, our oldest, who you just heard there, has already explored some with other religions. She's gone to Buddhist temples. She's looked into Christianity a little bit. So I asked how we as parents can help facilitate a sort of course in world religions. Uh, The main point to be made is that it doesn't happen in a formal way. I don't think it's the sort of thing that we have to sit down and, uh, you know, uh, put our kids through a course uh, of, of that kind. I think it's less effective if we do that. Mm-hmm. The thing to do is to weave it into our everyday experience and our everyday conversations. I mean, we have conversations all the time about everything, and we're surrounded by uh, religious expressions of all right. different kinds. And so, you know, whether it's on TV or we're driving past a mosque and the kids see the gold dome or whatever it is, the thing a parent has to do is simply notice religion in the world mm-hmm. and comment on it, bring it into the conversation, and it might be 30 seconds. An example I like to use is my youngest. We, uh, she was four years old. We drove past a mosque. She saw the gold dome, and she said, what a pretty building. Mm-hmm. There's an opportunity right there. And so I said, oh, that's actually a special kind of church called a mosque. And people who go there, it's interesting, they pray five times a day. They face a city far away, and they pray five times a day. Oh, cool. You know, that was yeah, the whole thing. Like that, she went home and she actually drew a building with the yellow dome mm-hmm. you know, with her crayons. Um, a few months later, we saw a woman in full hijab, you know, the full right. Islamic dress, and she said, "Oh, weird! Look at that! And look at that lady." And I said, "Oh, you know what? That actually is a person who might go to that church we saw a few months ago, that mosque." Mm-hmm. So you take an observation, you connect it to another one, and you build and build and build. You do this several thousand times over the course of eighteen years, and you've got a profoundly religiously literate child, much more so than somebody who's just going to Sunday school every every week or sitting in a pew. They're typically getting a single point of view, you know, with a little smattering of reference to other religions. Right. Um, frequently just kind of a cartoon of other religions. But if you can really weave it into your oral language, into your, your um, uh, actual conversation, and, uh, you know, every once in a while pop a film into your Netflix queue that has some sort of, uh, you know, exploration of a religious idea, not some horrible boring biblical epic or something. Or, or the Passion of the Christ or something. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, there, you know, there, there are things you... I mean, that's just not appropriate for kids anyway. No, no. Uh, but, um, you know, something like Little Buddha, you know, is this sure. uh, you know terrific, interesting story. They learn a little bit about Buddhism and a little about Hinduism, and you get the benefit of seeing Keanu Reeves as the Buddha, which is <laughs> the weirdest <laughs> thing they'll ever see. 
Um, but then, you know, things like that, Joseph, King of Dreams, you know, or uh, Prince of Egypt or whatever. When kids are little, once in a while you just, you know, you um, allow them to encounter these ideas in that way, and they are going to be more powerful in discourse. They're going to be more knowledgeable about the world and less baffled about the world if they have this exposure to these uh, various ideas. Because most of the world is out there articulating its understanding of the world mm-hmm. um, in religious terms. And I don't want my kids to be powerless and baffled in the face of that phenomenon. Right. And, and of course, in order to do that, um, as parents, you need to uh, be informed yourself. Oh, yeah. You, oh, yeah. you know, you can't start telling kids what what Jewish people are like unless you know a little bit of something yourself. And, and as I'm learning with a lot of parenting, you got to do some homework from time and again. You do, and it helps to be interested in it. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, um, I think, you know, you said you're, uh, you teach mythology. Yes. I was fascinated with mythology from the time I was very young. I knew, I knew Greek and Roman mythology backwards and forwards. Right. And you simply have to think of religion as... Another kind of mythology is another expression of that, and it becomes fascinating and non-threatening then. You know, you can see that, okay, this is just another attempt to explain the world by people who didn't, you know, originally have access to um, better ways of doing it. Right. Um, so the book I recommend for uh, parents is, uh, the author is Stephen Prothero, and the book is called Religious Literacy, What mm-hmm. Every American Needs to Know and Doesn't. Um, and it's really readable. It's a real page-turner. It's not... Uh, tedious at all, and he talks about, first of all, how horrifically illiterate we are, how we're a very faithful people and we know nothing about religion. You know, we sort of do it as uh, Americans, but we don't know anything about it, Right. Um, which is the opposite in Europe. They actually know a tremendous amount about it, and they tend not to do and it. And they don't do it, yeah. Right. And they're much happier for it. And they're much happier for it. I think there's, there's a lot to be said for that. So his uh, book sort of walks you through, if you were to know a little bit about Islam, you know, enough to be a literate person. What would you need to know? And he walks you through that. How about Buddhism? How about Judaism? And so on. Uh, It's a really terrific book, and it can really help get you up to speed. Maybe part of this is because um, I'm a graduate student in anthropology. You know, we study at home, and we talk about different cultures and different peoples, and that involves the belief system. Mm -hmm. Um, And we talk about that. Um, My my son asked me not long ago, um, what is Christmas? Why do we do this? Mm. Uh, we, we talked about a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about the baby Jesus. We talked about um, Santa Claus. <laughs> right. Um, it's, it's all a matter of a belief system. And, we yeah, we talked about the winter solstice. Uh, we, we always celebrate the solstice at our house. Um, we we talked about the way it's celebrated in different cultures, and we got into economics and everything. That's just wow. kind of how crazy we are here. But, <laughs> um, no, we... We try and expose them to everything. The library here has um, kind of showcases a different culture every month. Like one month, it'll be talk about the Germans, and mm. the Chinese. Um, you know, and we'll, we'll go to stuff like that. Um, I, I want them to experience everything, but they're curious, and I'm curious too. I've learned so much, right? You know, going on this journey with my children. Um, and I, I never say that anything is absolute, and I think that's one of the reasons I try and avoid the church, <laughs> because this is this is it, this is the law, there's, that's the way it is. And um, I want my children, instead of just, you know, blindly obeying someone who they've been told is an authority figure, and, and going into things with fear, I want them to be curious and excited and, um, and, and question things and challenge them and, and think for themselves. And so I think... 
by giving them exposure to multiple things, they can make good choices. I'm, I, I suppose if my children decided to be religious someday, that that's fine. I mean, I might be slightly disappointed, but I don't know if I'd say anything to them. Right. But it's their choice as long as they've experienced things and, um, ex, you know, and expose themselves to things. And that's part of our job as a parent is to expose our children to different things. Sure. You know, as long as they went through that whole process and if they decided that was right for themselves, then, then so be it. Of course, I'd always love my kids, but if they grew up to be religious, I'm not sure how I would take that. I'd like to think I'd be able to react as maturely as Becky, but I just don't know. Having come from that background, I would be so disappointed and, frankly, scared for my children. So I asked Kathy, the only member of the Freethought Mom Squad who was raised with religion, how she would feel if her kids turned to religion. I've always told my kids, you know, if if you decided that you wanted to be religious, mm-hmm. you know, I will not judge you for that. Right. And I'm, I will always love you. And that is true. Um, as long as they don't come to me and and try to push it on me, but right. that's such a big part of religion, especially today. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, it might be difficult if that happened. But yeah. Say, you know, we, we went to a church or you went with a relative or a friend or something, and you thought, hey, this does sound really good. Maybe this is what I want to believe in. Do you, do you think that would ever happen? And, and how would you feel? Um, it might. I'm not positive, and I may feel like, oh, I might be, I may have been a little wrong. I still may Mm -hmm. be wrong. Sure. But I don't know, so I'll believe in this and keep on with my religion. That's great, because, you know, a lot of this, I I want you to be able to experience different things, and if, if something sounds more true than, than what mom and I believe, then I, I want you to be able to explore that. And if you end up becoming a Jehovah's Witness or a Muslim or whatever, then that's your choice. Um, and I think the important, and I think I'm, I'm speaking for mom here too, the important thing is that you don't choose something just because someone tells you to, including mom and I. Like we don't want you to not believe in God just because we don't believe in God. We want you to decide for yourself to you know, look at the world, study, and see what makes the most sense for you. Yeah, like, I know someone whose parents forced her to believe in God just because they did. Mm. It's a lot of people like that. (laughs) Do you think you would ever become Jewish or Muslim or Christian or anything like that? I don't know. Right now, I don't. Actually, think I would be. What What would it take to convince you that whatever God, whether it's the Christian God or the Muslim God or the many gods of Hinduism, what would it take to convince you that that they were real? I have no idea. <laughs> but I guess that like if you're like like born and people like talk to you about this religion stuff and then you end up believing in it, then that could happen. But also, as you get older, you could read about more religions and then get interested in that and become that. Or you don't think that any of these religions at all could um, be true. So you you are 
You're an atheist now, right? Yep. Do you think that'll ever change? Could it, I guess, let's not predict. Could it ever change? You think there's anything that would make you go, this sounds more true? I don't know. You don't know? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but you're open to the possibility, right? Yeah. That's good. Yes. Because I, speaking for both your mother and myself, we don't want you to believe anything just because someone said so, even if it's us. You know, I, I don't know. want you to be an atheist just because I'm an atheist. I know. <laughs> okay. I'm glad. <laughs> I have a confession to make. Sometimes I'm jealous of my parents. When there was something they didn't want us to do, they could call it a sin. When we were misbehaving, they could remind us that Jesus was watching. I don't have that. I feel like some of the best tricks in the disciplinary toolbox have been cut off to me. As many parents will tell you, from, say, Halloween all the way to the end of December, one of the most compelling things you can do to get your children to behave is to tell them that Santa is watching. Yeah, I, it kind of bugs me when I hear parents doing, saying that to their kids. And, mm-hmm. I, and I've heard my sister say, I love you, sister. But, um, <laughs> you know, I've heard this, um, if you're not nice, or Santa's got a naughty list, or Santa's watching right. you, and it's just like, you know, God is watching you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But is Santa all forgiving? Because Jesus, if we if we sin, doesn't isn't he supposed to, you know, forgive us? And it's okay. So you can really do whatever you want, and he's always going to forgive you. Right. But Santa, there's that, like naughty listen there's that deadline but how many <laughs> how many parents actually follow through when their kid is naughty leaving them absolutely nothing under the tree and filling their stocking with coal yeah who gets coal my sister got coal one year in her stocking <laughs> but she did get other presents as well but she did get coal one year because it had been threatened often enough i think nice. that's awesome so she did get some but you know she didn't miss out on anything else right right not only do i not have santa to threaten with i don't have any of that great authoritarian stuff that my parents used to keep me in line. And on top of all that, as free-thought parents, we're encouraging our children to ask questions, to think critically, which just makes everything harder. Aren't we, as non-religious parents, just making everything more difficult? Yeah, there's no doubt about that. There are several um, increased difficulties that come along with this, um, with this kind of parenting. I think they're all worth it you know, a hundred times over. Um, but an example is my kids know that they have the right to know the reason for the rules. They always have a right to ask why something is the case. Right. Um, so if I say bedtime at 8 o'clock and Delaney says why, she gets an answer. Not because I said so. And this is not just to be nice. It's actually um, uh, something that uh, moral development research has determined uh creates a more powerful moral reasoner. Mm. You know, if kids are able to understand that there are reasons behind rules, that they are not arbitrary, right. then they develop their own ability to generate rules and generate their own moral understanding from that. Uh, really, one of the most powerful studies is uh, Samuel and Pearl Oliner, the study of survivors of Nazi Germany. And uh, they talked to uh, 700 people who survived that era. Half of them were what they called rescuers, people who went out of their way to you know, put their own lives at risk and uh, right. to um, uh, save others from Nazi atrocities. And then the non-rescuers were people who were either passive or complicit mm-hmm. in the crime. And uh, there was a 
uh, they talked to them about how they were raised and the way their parents instructed them um, uh, morally and ethically. And there was this um, a much greater likelihood for those who did the wrong thing, the non-rescuers, to have been raised in authoritarian moral households right. where they were told, do this because the Bible says so, do it because I said so, or because the Fuhrer said so. I mean, you can see how that just equates. Yeah. But the other group was more likely to hear explanations. You know, they said their parents would explain why something was right or wrong. And that's what I want my kids to develop, and it's harder. It's harder. It takes time, because I want to be able to say, get in bed for crying out loud yeah. time, you know? But it is worth that little extra effort. And then if they persist, as they tend to do, you know, right. when you've given them an answer, my mm -hmm. wife has come mm -hmm. up with this great formulation. She says, I gave you the answer and the reason, and we're done. You know, so she did, her, she did the whole thing. I gave you the answer, and I gave you the reason for the rule. Right. And then we are done. You don't have to allow them to torture you for the rest of the night, which is, which is their goal frequently. Of so, course, of course. Yeah, so it is, it is more difficult. We lose some of those easy ways of doing these things, but it is actually worth it in terms of the results you get in a powerful um, uh, moral understanding in the kids and, uh, uh, and also a, a, greater, a better developed discipline. Mm -hmm. Instead of talking about the man upstairs, you talk about the boy inside, you know, or the girl inside. You right. can get them in touch with that conscience, which is such a powerful thing. Yeah, and I think having to explain yourself as a parent makes you a better parent, and you know, not to get too lofty, but a better person too. Oh, in some, no doubt. In some regards, no doubt about it. There have been many cases in which our kids actually talked us out of yeah. our understanding because they were right. You know, uh, there's really a terrific book called The War for Children's Minds, hmm. in which Stephen Law uh, lays out exactly what you just described, the fact that he talks about these two uh, parenting uh, styles, but he puts it in terms of these two hypothetical schools, Liberalia High, I think it is, and Authoritaria High, mm -hmm. and talks about how um, Liberalia High is in a constant state of reexamining rules and reexamining the processes and so on. And so there's an inevitable evolution right. of the process in a positive direction, whereas if it's authoritarian, the good things stay and the bad things stay in place. They're simply handed down from one authoritarian to the next. What about morality? It's a question we deal with on this show all the time. Just check out some of our past episodes. But when the question changes from where do you get your morals to how do you teach your children to be moral, it becomes more difficult. I remember when my 12-year-old was about two, um, we were riding in the car with my dad, love you, dad, um, and he went into this tirade asking me how I can raise a child without religion because without religion I can have no morals. And he was so adamant and, and like he believed this is an absolute fact. Without religion, your children will have no morals because you have no morals. And I didn't realize that religion and morality had all that much to do with each other. I agree with Becky. I don't see morals stemming from religion. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, do good things in, in the Bible. They want you to do some good things. But there's a lot of horrible things in the Bible. Like Kathy was talking about um, Abraham and his son. Go, go kill him. And at the very last minute, I just wanted to see if you'd do it. Yeah. But... Um, I think morals is more of just your your value as a human and how you va value other humans. Don't steal from someone else because that's wrong. Well, I want my kids to value life, and I mm -hmm. see, I mean, I 
hate to really go into it, but I see the churches. I've been to Vietnam. I saw what what happened when the Catholic Church went to Vietnam. Mm, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, and there's so much war, and, and they don't really talk about hate. But how can you have so much war without hate? Yeah. Right. You know, and and I don't want what's ethical about that. I don't want my kids to to do that. You know, you talk about the Bible story you're reading your child, and there's a guy with the knife mm-hmm. and an eye for an eye, and you know, she's an adulteress. We're going to stone her. I, to me, that what what is that teaching my child about morals right. and about valuing life and, and valuing people? Free Thought Mom Squad member Kathy is the mother of two teenagers, which means that she has to deal with things like kids going off to college and learning how to drive, the kinds of things that terrify me so completely that. I like to imagine I'm never going to have to deal with, that my little girls are going to stay exactly the same age they are now. Unfortunately, and fortunately, that's not the case. So I turn to Kathy for a little bit of advice for what's to come, or perhaps just a warning. I said to her, Kathy, what do we have to look forward to as they get older? (laughs) My kids will kill me if I tell you. (laughs) (laughs) No, they're a lot of fun, and (sighs) it gets easier in some ways, and it gets harder in some ways, and you have to be ready and willing to let go, which is really hard, (laughs) 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 but really important as far as Letting them launch and letting them fly. Before I became a parent and I heard sentiments like that, I assumed that letting them fly referred to when the kids moved away to college or moved out of the house for the first time. But I don't think that's the case anymore. We let our kids fly every single day they walk out our door into that big scary world out there. And if we equip them with the right tools, a critical thinking mind rationality, skepticism, the ability to think for themselves, and most of all, love and compassion for their fellow living beings. We can be confident in the knowledge that as they go out into that world, they're helping to make it a better place. And I think ultimately that's our job as parents. Not only to give them the best world that we can, but to give them the tools to make it even better. Special thanks this week to Dale McGowan, whose websites include www.parentingbeyondbelief.com and www.foundationbeyondbelief.org. His book, Parenting Beyond Belief, is a must-have, a must-have for all free-thinking parents out there. It includes essays by the likes of Richard Dawkins, Penn Jillette, Julia Sweeney, etc., and so forth. Also thanks to our Free Thought Mom Squad, Becky and Kathy, and a very special thanks to my wife, Chris, and our four girls, Shiloh, Cassidy, Peyton, and Abby. Couldn't have done it without you. Before I leave you a quick props list, I want to offer props to Jeremy and Luke, my fellow Doubtcasters, for winning the podcast award in the Religion Inspirational category. Yes, we won in the religion category. Congratulations, 
as well to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe and the Quackcast, two other great skeptical podcasts that brought home awards. And it really is an honor for us to have won. So thanks to all of the listeners out there who took the time to vote for us. That is much appreciated. That's all for this week. Until next week, be sure to check out our website, www.doubtcast.org, our forum, doubtcast.forummotion, that's one M in the middle, .net. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Zazzle slash Doubtcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with more of your Skeptical Guide to Religion. To catch up on past Reasonable Doubts episodes or to email your questions or comments, check out www.doubtcast.org. Reasonable Doubts is a production of WPRR Reality Radio. You can find out more about Reality Radio at publicrealityradio.org. Reasonable Doubts theme music is performed by Love Fossil and used with permission. We'll go around the room here. Peyton, I want you to say, welcome to Reasonable Doubts. Welcome to Reasonable Doubts. Okay. Now, Cassidy? Welcome to Reasonable Doubts. Now. Abby. Yeah, Abby? Welcome. Uh, say, welcome to Reasonable Doubts. Welcome to Reasonable Doubts. <laughs> that was so cute. I'm sorry, that was so cute. Okay, welcome to Reasonable Doubts.